and welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And we are thrilled to welcome you to the penultimate episode of season four of our show. Penultimate already. Already. I feel like we just started recording for this season which in retrospect is a weird feeling to have because I'm pretty sure we started recording before the winter holidays of 2021. I too am of that opinion. (laughs) (laughs) And it is very weird to feel like we did just start when we've been doing this, at least on our end weekly, for (laughs) probably about two months now. (laughs) (laughs) So I I guess it's about time. But... What we have prepared for you today is truly deserving of this penultimate slot in our seasonal episode release calendar, if you will, because today's episode is going to be sort of a combination of one of our historical deep dives along with one of our historical fact versus fiction as presented in the National Treasure movie. So it really is combining two of our bread and butter episodes. Pretty much. I mean, you can't get more classic. I agree. The topic of this episode is, of course, the one, the only, the original Templar treasure. But before we dive into the Templar treasure in very great detail, as you're about to see. We have to start this episode as we start all episodes. Our screams from Parkington Lane, our admission, our acknowledgement that we have fallen deep into the National Treasure Pit such that we cannot get out. National Treasure affects every aspect of our daily lives and we're screaming with some combination of joy, frustration, and pride. I feel like the, I feel like the screams from Parkington Lane description for me is the equivalent of how you do the social media shout out every week. Am I wrong? No, you're right. It just gets more and more fun for me. Um, Anyway, Emily, do you have a scream from Parkington Lane to share this week? I do. So I, as I've mentioned before on this podcast, listen to a number of other podcasts. One of the podcasts that I listen to on repeat, basically, um, because Aubrey, you know me and you know that that's what I do. Oh, boy. um, Is called Angel on Top. Shout out to Angel on Top Podcast. Um, Basically, this is a podcast that talks about every episode of Angel, one by one, spoiler free, in tandem with the show that talks about Buffy, Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Yes, that is from their intro. And I say their intro because every time they do their intro on this podcast, they get to a certain point. And I think the next thing they're going to say is where the secret lies, not only with Charlotte, but also with your (laughs) co-host. Every single time I listen to an episode without fail. It's like they have a natural pause and you think you know what's coming. And Mm -hmm. every time. I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, no, it's not the right podcast. Well, after almost four seasons of doing this. I feel like that's reasonable. That's a reasonable reaction. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Aubrey? So my scream is probably one of my more tame screams this week, but it really... As opposed to all of your untamed screams. I feel like some of my screams are very aggressive. Okay. Like, Go on. okay, anyway, um, as we revealed, I think a couple weeks ago on the show, Emily and I are, are in the early stages of turning National Treasure Hunt into a book. Yay, very exciting. Um, but we've actually started the process of like drafting said book. And naturally there are aspects of the chapters that we're writing where we have to reference scenes from the National Treasure movies. And obviously we really try to do our due diligence and make things as accurate as possible whenever we're preparing anything for you guys, whether it's a book or a podcast episode. And so I was outlining and I realized I wanted to get a quote, an obscure quote from the movie exactly right. So I go and open a new tab in Chrome and I start, I click the letter N And the first suggestion that my computer gave me was National Treasure Script. (laughs) Which was indeed exactly what I was looking for. But the fact that it took one letter and then I was just able to, you know, press the arrow key and enter, get right where I needed to be um, for probably, I don't know, what must have been the 50th time this year if it knew that's what I was going for that I finally bit the bullet and added it as my first bookmark on my bookmarks bar. That's your first bookmark? It is now my first bookmark. You didn't have bookmarks before this? No, 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 I have a lot of bookmarks. I've moved this to the front of the line. Oh, that's still a big deal. It is, it really is. If, if, if you'd like, I could uh, get into my strategy for how to use the National Treasure script, which pretty much involves thinking of the scene that I want, thinking of the most obscure word said in that scene, control F, searching that obscure word to get to the scene since the script is very long. But you have to obviously know the whole script almost by heart to be able to know what words to search for. Um, So I feel like this has now become a snowball of a scream. We are, we went from search bar to favorites bar to control F words. We went from Parkington Lane back around to the Arctic Tundra. Oh, we full circle. Full circle. Wow, Aubrey, that is quite the scream. If you too have a scream that you would like to share, please feel free to let us know. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We are also available for your listening ears on Spotify, SoundCloud, Good Pods, and Apple Podcasts. Please go ahead, like, subscribe, rate, review, follow, do whatever you can on those various platforms to let us know that you two are on this national treasure hunt with us. If you find yourself so in the mood, you can also head on over to our merch store, which is linked in the link tree in our bio on the various platforms. And you can purchase any number of national treasure hunt related merchandise be it a car bumper sticker, a magnet for your refrigerator, a t-shirt that you can wear around, or a notebook that you can take with you as you decode a cipher in the Declaration of Independence at the Franklin Institute. Which is funny because the Franklin Institute is not where the Declaration of Independence is. (laughs) The Declaration of Independence at 
the National Archives. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So thank you very much for that reminder, Emily. For all of our listeners out there, the way today's episode is going to go, we're of course going to start off with our movie context, which is almost a joke because the movie context for the Templar treasure is basically the whole movie. Then we're going to have Emily remind us of the actual history of like the real legend of the Templar treasure, like in real life, not a national treasure land. Then we're going to get to the good part. We are going to examine both the components of the Templar treasure as portrayed in the movie. And then we're going to examine what the legend and history tells us is in this maybe real, maybe not real treasure, like in real life. So uh, we're going to split up those sections. In my section, we're going to talk about things like what did National Treasure say was part of the treasure? Are those objects that we saw in the movie actually considered missing in real life today? Or could they be missing in real life today? And temporally, could those objects have even been part of the treasure already when the Knights found it during the First Crusade, which is, for reference, the year 1096? How much would those things be worth today? Or in other words, are they even treasure worthy? And then, Emily, what are we going to talk about in your section about the reality of the maybe real Templar treasure? We are going to talk about what the legend says is part of the treasure and how this compares with what the movie said is in the actual treasure itself. Yes, so we're in for a jolly good time today. And as always, we have to... Jolly good time. Emily is clearly in the wrong movie. Um, She's in National Treasure 2 right now um, at Buckingham Palace, because I'm pretty sure that was a rough attempt at a British accent. Um, But Emily, I must remind you, we're talking about the first National Treasure here. It's almost funny. I almost feel like we shouldn't do movie context for this episode because the Templar Treasure is the purpose of the entire first movie in this franchise. But what- What I'll do, um, just for the sake of completeness, is I will provide the backstory that National Treasure purports is the backstory for this treasure, all right? Um, So basically, as we all know, according to Ben's grandfather, the Templar treasure dates back to ancient Egypt and was moved around by different groups of people over the years as they found it. And each time the treasure moved and changed hands with different people, it got larger. You know, more stuff was added to it. Um, It disappeared, apparently, according to National Treasure. The the treasure fell off the face of the earth for a good period of time until the First Crusade, when it was rediscovered after apparently like a 1,000-year absence, underneath the Temple of Solomon by a group of knights who would then choose to become the Knights Templar. These knights thought, again, according to National Treasure, that this treasure they stumbled across was too great and too grand for one person. And so they vowed to protect it. Um, That's when they became the Knights Templar. They took the treasure to Europe and then they smuggled it to America. 
And that's where they took on a new name, the Freemasons. The Freemasons then hid the treasure again, this time in America, and devised a series of clues to protect it. Now, of course, the entirety of National Treasure is dedicated to finding and solving those very clues, eventually leading to the actual treasure, which is supposedly hidden beneath Trinity Church in New York City. So that is um, the summary of the story we are told in this particular movie. Now, Emily, I know you did some research for us on what the real story is. So like the not national treasure version of the story. So can you fill us in there for our first comparison of the episode? I did. So according to legend, so real- we're still... we're we're in history but we're still in kind of legend territory if we're talking about the knights templar to be honest that's fair that's fair according to legend the real life knights of templar excavated at the site of the temple of solomon and found a treasure so that part is consistent cool something that i want to note is that the temple itself the temple of solomon was actually long gone by the time the templar the knights of templar got there So they got there in the year 1120, so a little after the First Crusade. So let me get this straight. Even the real-world legend says they found it under a temple that didn't exist anymore. Yes, but, but this is where we get a little bit into the history of the Knights of Templar themselves in order to get at the history of the Templar treasure. Okay. So the Knights are believed to have been set up to protect pilgrims that were traveling on Christian missions. Okay. And they were set up in a wing of the Temple Mount, which was actually believed to be on the ruins of the Temple of Solomon. So people basically believed that while the knights were like chilling there, they must have found some treasure because of course they did. Because or the treasure did it. Because the treasure was there to be found. Supposedly. Supposedly. This is also supported by the notion that the Knights Templar went from being poor to being extremely rich in a period of 10 years while they were in this temple. So people thought they must have discovered this treasure during this time. Now, in reality, we actually know that the reason they got rich was because they got financial backing from someone higher up in power uh so probably not because they found a treasure well maybe that someone high up in power found a treasure it's possible um (laughs) the idea of there being a treasure that they found or that the knights of templar found is also purported by people because once the knights templar got to jerusalem which is where this temple mount was located they kind of flew under the radar for a few years and they apparently weren't really like protecting pilgrims like they said they were supposed to be and so the idea is that people think it's during that time that they could have actually been searching for the treasure although i would like to note that the reason that they kind of disappeared for a few years and flew under the radar was likely because they didn't get support from someone high up in power until later on which is the same time that they got rich well that gives them a lot of time to go treasure hunting 
So yeah, the theory is basically that the Knights Templar set up on this mount, temple, temple mount, and probably had some time to kill. Mm -hmm. So I found some treasure. Okay, so I'm actually pretty pleased with National Treasure's description then because obviously this is like a five minute context setting opening scene less than five minutes actually so they can't go into all the detail that you just provided so knights templar find treasure under temple of solomon is fairly consistent with legend Mm -hmm. okay cool so now that we have that understanding out of the way let's get into what we're all really here for okay and that is a dive very deep, not into Parkington Lane this time, although technically it is later in the movie. Um, actually, this is quite literally a dive into Parkington Lane. <laughs> and that just hit Sorry me. for misrepresenting that fact. <laughs> just really hit me right in the face. Um, we are going to ask ourselves what is in the Templar treasure according to National Treasure. So before we answer that question, I want to tell you how I... Uh, prepped for this discussion because it's fun um as usual i uh found very specific clips of national treasure on youtube Mm -hmm. literally just the scene where we have the flashback within a flashback explaining the templar treasure in the first five minutes of the movie okay and also the big treasure reveal at the very end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I watched each of these scenes at least three times. Gonna ask. Pausing the YouTube stream every three seconds so that I could really get a good look at what the heck is in this treasure. Because for as many times as I've watched this movie before, the only thing that sticks that would ever stick out to me was like stereotypical Egyptian artifact stuff. I only, mm-hmm. when, when you tell me like, oh, what was in the Templar treasure in the movie? I would say an Egyptian, like Egyptian sarcophagus. Little green, blue green man. Yeah, so like Egyptian statues and things like that. That's all that came to mind. Well, it turns out that from my little process of watching and pausing and rewinding and watching and pausing again, Um, And I will share these clips on our social media this week in case you'd like to do the same exercise. There is way more cultural diversity in the treasure than I originally thought. Hmm, That's good to know. Yeah. And it tracks also with this concept that National Treasure tells us of every time the treasure changes hands, it grows larger. One would think with objects from whatever society or civilization had the treasure at that time. Mm hmm. So it it makes a lot of sense from that perspective. Um, I will say there is a lot of Egyptian artifacts, which then I had an aha moment of like, remember at the very end of the movie where Ben is telling Sadusky, um, like I was thinking we share it with the world, the Smithsonian, the Louvre, the Cairo Museum, and he names them specifically. I feel like the Smithsonian and the Louvre are like very well-known big museums and the Cairo museum is also very big but not the first thing I would think to throw into that short list right maybe he said it and specified the Cairo museum as one of the destinations for the treasure as almost a repatriation 
suggestion because there is so much Egyptian heritage in the treasure. Interesting. I like that. Yeah. So anyway, I made a list of all of the different types of objects that I could see within the treasure, according to the movie. And I was trying to figure out a way to categorize them. And honestly, what came to mind was categorizing by like civilization or geography or time period, because that's really how um, I feel like these naturally group together. And it also gives us something to think about in terms of what societies or civilizations might have quote unquote, captured the treasure at some point in time. Mm -hmm. And so what I'll do is we'll introduce uh, a civilization. We'll deep dive into like one or two objects that's in the treasure from each civilization. And then we'll like speed round the rest of, of the objects. Because to be honest, if we deep dove into everything that's in this treasure, we'd be here for six hours. Also, you know, I love me a good speed round. I know. I know we have a lot to look forward to here. So without further ado, let's start off with the first civilization um, that comes to mind, the ancient Egyptians. So the first thing, like I mentioned, that pops up a lot in this treasure and in national treasure is um, Egyptian sarcophagi and coffins. Now, I should also mention there are other tomb looking things in the final treasure room at the end but it's really hard to tell era or location whereas the egyptian ones are are very like in your face so right so let's let's start by talking about these sarcophagi and coffins if you take a look at these scenes where will you see these pop up everywhere in these scenes so in there is a sarcophagus in one of the origin shots at the beginning scene of the movie so you see it right off the bat and then there are many sarcophagi and coffins in the treasure room itself in parkington lane including one that's prominently displayed behind abigail when um all four of the characters so ben abigail riley and patrick walk onto that landing and they like look out into the sea of treasure so whenever you're looking at Abigail as part of the group, there's a there's a Egyptian coffin standing behind her. Now, we know in cinematography practice, every the placement of everything is very strategic. Right. So it's really not surprising that Egyptian stuff comes to mind in this treasure when you think of the treasure because it is placed in such a way that you will recognize it. Right. So I decided to do um some digging into the history of Egyptian sarcophagi and coffins specifically related to whether any are like missing and then therefore they could be in this mysterious treasure or if they would be worth a lot of money like that's sort of the the route that I went here okay um before I dive in to the answer to that question do you have any predictions Emily I feel like one of the things that I don't want to say I'm hearing about constantly because I'm, I'm not hearing about <laughs> it constantly, but that I hear about like with some level of frequency or a level of frequency higher than one would expect from such things Okay, is that like ancient tombs and sarcophagi are like popping up mm. places which is like surprising to me because I would have thought like we would have found them all by now. So I, I think like definitely that they're popping up places means that obviously there are probably some that are missing, but right. I don't know if we like know the ones that are missing. 
That is a really great point. Spoiler alert, the answer is we know some that are missing, but not okay. all. Not all. So basically, it turns out that just for context here, the gold-colored, person-shaped, intricately painted coffins that I think we typically think of when we think of sarcophagi, those are actually just coffins. Technically, the sarcophagus is the above-ground tomb that holds the coffin, or sometimes it actually holds more than one coffin. Um, the good news is both of these things seem to be present in the treasure room. <laughs> in terms of temporal re relevance, Egyptian hieroglyphs reference gold as early as 2600 BC, and Egyptians regularly used gold to um, craft or plate different like vessels, like jars and stuff, like containers, jewelry, furniture, and funeral trinkets, if you will, um, making really all of the subsequent treasure items that we will be discussing, not just in this subsection, but like for the rest of the Egypt section, quite feasible in theory. Like if this treasure existed in ancient Egyptian times, everything we're about to see could theoretically be in the treasure. Now it is true that most of the use of gold was pertaining to pharaohs and royalty, obviously. And sense. yeah, right. So the pharaohs, for instance, uh, were buried in gold coffins because it was said that they believed gold was the, the flesh of the gods. So one example of a tomb that was found um, of a pharaoh was King Tut, Tutankhamun. Okay. Yeah. So um, King Tut was enshrined in ultimately three gold coffins think like nesting dolls and the third and final coffin was get this it was 243 pounds of solid gold what in the world yeah so this is hopefully going to start getting to the like answer the question of whether these would be valuable and part of a treasure i think so <laughs> So getting to your point, Emily, though, of people finding sarcophagi, finding these coffins, popping up in the news, all that kind of stuff, archaeologists are truly constantly unearthing previously undiscovered Egyptian sarcophagi and coffins, including all of the artifacts that are buried along with the dead. And if they're pharaohs, it's safe to assume that oftentimes are gold or jewelry or things like that. Um, so for example, a recent find more recent i guess like a year ago uh, in january 2021 the burial site of queen there the wife of king teti was discovered and included several wooden sarcophagi and a 13 foot long book of the dead scroll wow so very cool finds and things that are popping up um the interesting thing about this particular um this particular find and why I think it's a poetic example is they didn't go out looking for Queen Nair. They didn't know mm. this burial site existed at all. So it's very clear that many Egyptian coffins are unaccounted for. Right. Okay. So it could be true that some became part of the Templar treasure. However, gold ones like we see in National Treasure were likely reserved for royalty. Um, so you would have to ask the question, like, are there Egyptian royals that have not been found? 
like their coffins? And the answer to that is also yes. There are several, yeah, there are several Egyptian kings and even some queens uh, like Nefertiti that have yet to be found. Um, So the last question to answer here, are they valuable? Are they treasure worthy? Yeah. Definitely, yes. I'm going to give you a very concrete example. There was uh, this stolen gold coffin that was sold to the Met Museum in New York in 2017, and it was recently repatriated. Now, a news article that was covering that repatriation event noted that the coffin was worth $4 million. And the coffin was that of a priest, albeit an influential one, but like not even a king. So. Yeah, I'd say they're treasure worthy. <laughs> Just a little. It's tiny, tiny, tiny bit. Tiny yeah. bit. Itty bitty, itty bitty bit. Um, so that certainly tracks. Um, and so does the fact that many other Egyptian artifacts can be seen in the national treasure, Templar treasure. Things like gold Egyptian statues or other statues like the bluish green man right (laughs) um you see the statues all throughout the treasure room there's also tons of gold chalices and vases and like candlestick looking things um these can be seen in again the origin shots of the treasure at the beginning of the movie as well as in the treasure room um at the beginning of the movie, we see tons and tons of gold coins spilling. It's actually one of the first things that we see. Now, I'm going to assume the gold coins are what is inside of all the many treasure chests that are in the treasure room at the end of the movie. Um, Makes there, sense. There's also this Egyptian Ankh. Are you familiar with the Ankh symbol? I'm not. So it's... Um, you. Take a Google, you'll totally recognize it. It's an Egyptian symbol. Um, it's You can see it in the wide shot of the treasure room once Ben lights the oil. And mm-hmm. if you look to the middle left of the screen, it stands out very distinctly, even though it's a fairly small trinket. I found it interesting that you could actually see it. So there's a oh. an Egyptian Ankh. And then, of course, there's also the all-seeing eye medallion. Naturally. I'm categorizing this in this Egypt category, not because it's necessarily Egyptian, but a lot of people trace back all seeing eye to Egypt with the pyramids. So (laughs) that's why we're talking about it here. Of course, the all seeing eye medallion is very important to us on National Treasure Hunt because it's part of the origin story for the treasure when we learn that the Knights Templar became the Freemasons, is then found by Patrick in the treasure room at the end of the movie. And naturally, it's our logo for the (laughs) podcast. (laughs) And then finally, we also know in the treasure room, Abigail finds the scrolls from the library at Alexandria. Now, Emily, I know we talked about this a little bit back in our season one hunt for facts episode but can you give us a really quick refresher on the scrolls like what they were and whether they could be part of the templar treasure yeah so these scrolls were about they were there were about 400 or sorry there were about forty thousand to four hundred thousand papyrus scrolls that were acquired by the library of alexandria which which existed from 285 to 246 BCE. 
And these scrolls were said to contain Greek, Egyptian, Hebrew, Buddhist teachings. They had history, they had poetry, comedies, tragedies, science, math, literature, plays, like really anything and everything that you can think of that would be contained in a library were stored on these scrolls in the Library of Alexandria. And we know that there was fire set to the library by Caesar and that there was a rebellion later on in Alexandria, which means that much of this work is believed to have actually been wiped from existence, which would make the scrolls of Alexandria themselves very valuable Mm -hmm. because they are thought to not exist anymore. There are some rumors that some of these scrolls might have actually been saved and kind of snuck out during specifically the rebellion at Alexandria uh, and could possibly have wound up being part of the Templar treasure. Hmm. Cool. We're like two for two. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Honestly, more like seven for seven if you're counting all the little gold things that we just listed. Um, But that is our little summary of the Egyptian portion of the treasure, if you will. The next civilization or time period that really came to mind when I was looking in great detail at the treasure uh, was the medieval times. Now, the most prominent aspect of the treasure related to medieval times, I'm really curious, Em, if it pops into your head at all. Do you recall seeing anything in the treasure, like in the treasure room? That would make you think of medieval times. No. Right? You just think of Egyptian stuff, right? Yeah. (laughs) So there's actually, what we're going to deep dive into for this section, there are several suits of armor. That you can see. That you can see. Oh, wow. The treasure room. So they, they're in multiple parts of the treasure room. They are once again on the landing where the four characters are standing. Um, so kind of near the sarcophagus that we mentioned. They're also featured very prominently behind Patrick in his solo shots in the treasure room since everyone gets their own little solo shot. Mm-hmm. They're also very visible in the wide shot. Again, what, after Ben lights the oil and the whole room lights up. So there's a lot of suits of armor in the treasure. And I never noticed that before, ever. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting how, like, when they're not framed in, like, as specific of a light, you, like, tend not to notice them. Or even, I think part of it is because the opening scene that sets the context, which starts in Egypt at the very beginning of the movie, is really what sticks in my head when I think of the treasure. True. When I think of, like, suits of armor, I guess I think about, like, that the Knights of Templar would have had suits of armor, but I don't think that, like, their suits of armor would have wound up as part of the treasure. Okay, so that leads us really well into the historical aspect of this, because I realized once I saw the suits of armor that I really didn't know a lot about them. Um, So it turns out that the full plate armor that we see in the treasure room, or that if you're me you think of when you think of Scooby-Doo and there's like the the black knight and he's chasing them around with like a full suit of armor right <laughs> that full plate armor was only popular for a very short period of time 
And even then it was pretty expensive. Wow. It was, it was made of iron or steel. And for people who were very wealthy, they would be, the, the suit armor would be custom built for them so that it actually fit properly and was protective. Um, normies, like not, <laughs> not rich people, um, but also pre full plate armor period, the, the norm was to have um, a, a garment called male. People think of it as chain mail, but the proper term is actually male. This oh. is uh, a type of garment made of interlinked metal rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and that male garment had partial sleeves and a hood. Um, or sometimes as plate armor became available, people would have the 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 male garment with a couple of plates on top of it um it was really in the 14th and 15th centuries that plate armor though became more of a thing and you saw different combos of male and plate armor even anyone who had a full suit of plate armor would typically wear male underneath of it okay now initially the full plate armor was only accessible to nobles but when it became a little bit more commonplace knights would then Use it. So we go. this is how you're thinking a little bit about the Knights Templar, probably. Um, other people who were not knights or not nobles probably had a piece or two of like armor. So think like a helmet, um, but not necessarily a complete set. And of course, as you might expect, the better made and fitted the armor, the more important the knight or the noble. Mm. Um, now to give you a little bit of a sense of the cost of having full plate armor even in the time it was used because we said it was kind of expensive right so a knight's full armory so the plate armor and everything to go along with it um, was said to cost between five and eight years worth of rent for a london merchant's house wow while just a helmet alone would have been the worth would have been worth the same as like a cow so for just a helmet yeah and to give you an example of like a really well-made set um a german king commissioned a complete suit of armor for his son which cost 1200 gold coins or the equivalent of 12 years of pay for a senior court official at the time jeez these people must have been loaded <laughs> Yeah, so that gives you a little bit of sense of the cost then. Now, I really loved this video that I found on YouTube. Um, it was made by user the username The Richest, um, and The Richest did the math to really try to figure out what a set of 15th century plate armor um, would cost, like today. Mm-hmm. If you were having it made from scratch, um, for a high end person, like a knight or a noble, you're talking anywhere. It's definitely in the thousands. Um, the low end would be 8,000, but it goes as high as like 40 grand. Uh, so you could think of it. I think of 40 grand as like, that could be a car, like a new car. Um, mm-hmm. so you could think of, this is like one outfit, <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> I didn't think about it like that. But for a foot soldier, um, it would be still between two and four thousand dollars in today's monetary terms. 
That's more than I paid for my flute. Yeah. So I'll, I'll share that video that the richest made on, uh, YouTube. I'll share it on our social media this week. Um, but once again, Emily, I'm not satisfied with these rough reference numbers. All right. I wanted to know what a medieval coat of arms was worth. So like, if I am like an evil person that was going to like an illegal black market auction of antiquities, what could I expect to pay for one of these suits of armor that was found in the Templar treasure or national treasure. So um, it turns out that people do collect things like this and it's not necessarily illegal at all. I should start by saying that. I don't wanna make any suppositions here or accusations. Um, so billionaires uh, like to collect really expensive art oftentimes. Uh, one of those billionaires is a man named Ronald Lauder. Now he was really into collecting arms and armory from medieval times. Um, he considered it beautiful art. He donated 91 objects to the Met Museum's Arms and Armors Department in the year 2020. Now he wouldn't disclose the value of the gift, but a New York Times article about the donation said, quote, there will inevitably be some speculation that Mr. Lauder is trying to one-up his brother, Leonard Lauder, who in 2013 gave the Met his collection of 78 cubist paintings, drawings, and sculptures valued at more than $1 billion, end quote. So if Mr. Ronald Lauder was trying to outdo Mr. Leonard Lauder, whose donation was worth a billion dollars, take that as you will. So were the suits of armor treasure worthy? I'd say yes. Wow, my mind is blown. I didn't know suits of armor could be that expensive or worth that much money. I mean, it gives me a whole new level of respect for Scooby-Doo. And like- <laughs> That's where your mind goes. It is, because when I think of suits of armor, I think of the Black Knight and Scooby-Doo. When I think of suits of armor, I think of the- uh, the section in the Philly Art Museum. Oh, well, you really need to go to the Met because their arms and armory wing, probably thanks to Mr. Louder, is incredible. We'll have to put it on the list. Yeah, when we go to visit Trinity Church and the Intrepid. Perfect. Um, okay, so other things that you might categorize as part of the medieval period in the treasure, there are swords. Probably not surprising. Um, as a component of the treasure, you see swords in the treasure room when we're looking at Ben and his crew from afar. They're on the left of the screen. Um, for the record, the swords would be considered part of the arms and armor exhibit that Lauder would have donated. Um, Lauder was actually quoted as saying, I have swords dating back to the Crusades. Um, so it would definitely make sense that the swords could end up in the Templar treasure. There are also various um, Catholic crosses, specifically the kind um, that you think of when you envision a crusade march where there's someone at the front holding the cross on a stick. Mm -hmm. You'll see these um, when we have the wide shots of the treasure room. There's many scattered about. They look like they're made of gold. And there's wow. also a carriage um, which you only see in the final wide shot of the treasure room, because you might recall when we see the treasure room, it kind of zooms out slowly. 
-hmm. And so the final version, like the most zoomed out version has this, this carriage in the immediate foreground, if you want to go looking for it. When you say carriage, what exactly do you mean? Like, uh, like think a, a tiny carriage that you would hook up to a horse. Okay. Like, okay, okay. Yeah. But I was thinking you... like Cinderella carriage for some reason. I mean, that's also hooked up to a horse. It was much smaller. It was very tiny. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was an interesting addition. Never noticed that before. So, uh, so that's my summary of the medieval section of the treasure. Honestly, the takeaway from this is the Templar treasure could have been given its own museum following Probably. national treasure. So, yeah. Um, the third civilization we're going to talk about, which again, didn't notice this at all, watching National Treasure the first 84,000 times, <laughs> Asian dynasties. Uh -uh. Did, did any recollection of this whatsoever? No, Egyptian is like solely where I was at. That's it. Okay, so the two main things that you'll notice when you go and rewatch the treasure reveal scene are two Asian lion statues. They look to be made of some sort of stone. You'll see them um, right as Ben lights the oil and the room starts lighting up. There are two of these lion statues in the foreground. They look to be flanking the entrance to like a pathway going down into the treasure room. Okay. Mm. Now I am not by any means an expert and the footage is admittedly kind of grainy, but these really look like they're a pair of Chinese guardian lions, also known as imperial guardian lions, which are typically made of stone. Um, now these lions were in history often carved from sorts of decorative stone like marble or granite. Sometimes they were cast in metals like bronze. Um, but because of the high cost, the expensiveness of these materials and the like manpower required to craft these intricate lions, private use of guardian lions was traditionally reserved for elite families. So they were typically seen at imperial Chinese palaces, imperial tombs, government offices, or temples. And they were placed there because they were thought to protect the building from harmful people and harmful spirits. Now, over time, they spread their use spread to other Asian countries. And now they're just a popular symbol of Asian culture. Um, you've probably seen them. I don't know if you... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you probably don't even know the term like Imperial Guardian Lions, but I'm sure you're picturing exactly what they are, actually, because... Yeah, I've been to Chinatown in Philly, and they're definitely all over the place there. Totally. They're popular in Chinatowns and restaurants and hotels. Um, oftentimes, they are surrounding like an entrance, doors or a gate to something like we saw sort of in the treasure room. So, of course, you know me. I'm like, cool. These are statues used by wealthy people in Chinese dynasty times but like does the temporal use really match up with the Templar treasure as it's portrayed in this movie I'm really proud to say yes yes it does so the, the custom of using imperial guardian lions began during the Han dynasty, which lasted from 206 BC to 220 AD, well before the first crusade in 1096. 
So it would definitely be feasible for these lions to make their way into the treasure prior to the knights finding it. Of course, the biggest challenge would just be moving the darn things because they're large <laughs> statues of stone, probably very heavy and hard to move. But how much would they be worth? Are they treasure worthy? So to answer this question, I was perusing some Asian artifact auction houses online because those exist. And, and while I couldn't find any massive imperial guardian lions made of marble, I was able to find some fairly simple vases or sculpted pieces that are fairly tiny um, that were from the Han Dynasty period. And those are estimated to cost as much as five to $7,000. And that's just a vase. Oh my. So yeah, the Imperial Guardian Lions are probably treasure worthy since they're much larger and could probably even be traced back to a particular palace or influential person. That's so cool. That is, uh, Aubrey, you're just absolutely blowing my mind in this episode. I had some fun with this. Um, Before we move off of the Asian um, portion of the evening, I will also note one other artifact in the treasure room that looks like it could have had origins in an Asian country. There is a pagoda. Again, never noticed this before ever. Honestly, the depth and the expanse of the treasure room was more than I had ever noticed before. So if you're looking at the wide shot of the treasure room, when the room is fully lit at the very, very back of the room in the center, there is a red, almost red and green colored pagoda. Um, that someone also thought to transport not only out of an Asian country, probably to Europe and well, first to Egypt, then to Europe, and then smuggle overseas to America just to put stories and stories below ground in the Parkington Lane crypt is mind blowing to me. Who would have thought a simple pagoda? I mean, I'm guessing based on our track record here, it's worth a lot of money. Probably. So the last civilization we're going to dive into here um, as part of the Templar treasure is the civilizations of Greece and Rome. I am only pairing them here because a lot of the artifacts from a distance, I cannot tell which civilization they are from, but they are from one or the other. Um, I was surprised to notice Greek marble statues in the Templar treasure in National Treasure. Once again, never noticed it before. And if you want to look for them yourself, um, take again a look at the wide shot of the treasure room. They are white colored as they are marble and they kind of stick out like a sore thumb against the rest of the treasure. They are white colored as they are marble. (laughs) They're what you think of when you think of a Greek statue of marble. (laughs) No, I agree. I just thought it was funny the way you said it. But we've never seen them there before. We never noticed them before. But when you go looking now, you will see them. Okay. I'm okay. very excited to rewatch this scene. I, I, right? Oh, my gosh. You will not be disappointed. So I, of course, took a little look into Greek marble statues. Um, maybe not a surprise to many people that sculpture is the primary form of surviving Greek art. Um, Around the fourth century, marble and bronze were the key materials used to craft important sculptures. Um, 
much more recent revelations that people are catching wind of is the fact that when they were made, they were also often painted in vibrant colors. So the white versions that we see today were once painted, but the paint has worn off. Mm. Um, and so one of the reasons we know this is actually because some of the well-preserved ones still have some traces of their color. So a fun thought experiment I decided to ask was, you know, would the color have already worn off by the time these statues would have become part of the Templar treasure? I was going to say, when you, if you're talking about well-preserved, you have to imagine that transporting them from place to place and then having them kind of like sit under Parkington Lane, they're not being necessarily like, they're not being exposed to a ton of sunlight per se, but they're not necessarily being like well-preserved in the way that we think of like the Declaration of Independence as being well-preserved. Totally. What I kind of thought was if they had been taken from ancient Greece and literally placed directly into Parkington Lane and sealed there for hundreds of years, by the time they were found, they probably would have had some paint chipping, but you probably still would have seen paint. But ultimately, I think it would depend on how much they were exposed to the elements before they became part of the treasure, once they became part of the treasure, etc. Um, in any case, much like other artifacts, Greek and actually Roman statues um, have been sent all around the world. We, we see them in all kinds of museums that are not just in Greece and Rome, right? Mm -hmm. And unlike something like an Egyptian sarcophagus, there's not like a one statue per royal person rule, <laughs> right? So we really don't know how many existed. So there could feasibly be plenty of these statues like missing from accountability in history. True. So these are almost the most believable in some ways, right? Because yeah, there could be tons that we just didn't know existed. So once again, what is the value? of a marble Grecian statue. Um, so I found an article on the 10 most expensive stone statues ever sold. And I did my little control F to find the ones that were Greek in particular. Um, one example is the Jenkis Venus made by ancient Greek sculptor Praxiteles. Sorry if I butchered that. This particular sculpture sold for nearly $12 million in 2002. Oh my goodness. Well, it turns out that Praxiteles is pretty in demand and pretty good at his job because another of his statues, this time of Aphrodite, sold for $18 million in 1988. What? That's like, how much would that be today? Yeah, think inflation. But I will admit that the purchase of that statue was controversial because the origin story for how the seller got the statue was unverified. So I'm not sure if that means that it was maybe stolen or if it was maybe fake. But regardless, $18 million were paid for it. Now, those, of course, are just two examples and admittedly represent the high end of the spectrum, right, based on the title of the article. Mm -hmm. But in the millions is a solid figure, and there are several of these in the Templar treasure room. Wow. Yeah. So other Greek or Roman things that, that we see in the treasure room, um, there are a couple of paintings. Where will you see these? Uh, one is in the treasure room. It's leaning against a wall when you're looking at Ben and the crew from afar. So like the wall behind them, there's um, a painting kind of stacked up against the wall with some more artifacts in front of it. There's also 
one, that the all-seeing eye medallion, when Patrick finds it, the all-seeing eye medallion is hanging from a framed something. We're meant to believe it's oh. a painting, which is really covered in dust. Um, now, these paintings are probably Roman, as almost no Greek paintings have survived the test, the test of time. Um, what else might be Greek or Roman? There are stacks of books in the treasure room um, in a wide shot. Again, you see them only once the oil has been lit and the room lights up. They're stacked on the floor in the middle of the room. So I was wondering, like, would books be part of the treasure or are those two new? Um, and it, if the books were like hand transcribed, they absolutely could have been part of the treasure pre-crusade because people were writing before they were printing by like a right. long time. Um, so for example, books from the Chinese Tang Dynasty in the 860s AD those were even some of the earliest printed books so like oh wow i didn't know that i didn't know that either so those could also be part of the treasure one other thing i'll point out back near the pagoda at the back of the room there are also these stone arches mm. so there to the left and right of the pagoda they are stone colored they kind of blend in but you'll see them now that you're looking for them and so I, I must apologize to you, Emily, and to our listeners for the verbosity of that whole section of dissecting the Templar treasure that we see in the movie. But I had a lot of fun with it because I learned a lot and was really astonished at how well-placed all of the artifacts seem to be from a temporal consistent standpoint. Because let's face it, no one besides us is watching these scenes, pausing <laughs> every three seconds to critically analyze what the treasure is made of and whether those items could be possibly in the treasure to begin with. But yet they still all make sense. That's amazing. Yeah. And you know, I'm going to be going back and pausing that consistently <laughs> just to catch all of these now. Okay. So I feel like I got us on a really high note when it comes to potential accuracy of the movie. Now, Emily, it's your turn to drag us way back down because I'm going to ask you the question. You did some digging into the real life legend of the Templar treasure. What does this legend say is part of the treasure? That's a great question. Um, you know, part of the legend of the Templar treasure is that it has yet to be found. Um, and as a result of that, the, the contents of said treasure are relatively unknown. Only relatively? <laughs> I say relatively because there are a few things that I did come across okay. that people purport may, that pe they have found that people believe to have at one time been part of the Templar treasure. All right. Well, I am all ears. Okay, so I will admit that these don't come in a lot of detail, so please be all ears, but just prepare your ears for not that, not the amount of verbosity with which you presented your um, various finds. So the first is what is known as a black obsidian chalice. Ooh, sounds pretty. So obsidian is made basically of volcanic glass, which I didn't know, but it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Aubrey's nodding as if she knew this. She is a chemistry person, so it makes sense. Um, it is apparently 21 centimeters high. I don't know what that is in inches, but we're scientists, so we kind of do things in centimeters. So 
like this kind of think about it yeah it's like uh, okay it's like the uh it's like the length of my face yeah so for those of you who have an exact measure of aubrey's face and can picture that perfect perfect um it, this is possibly of Byzantine uh, manufacture, so it could have been made in the 12th century. Um, and in that respect, it's possible that it could be an Egyptian chalice. That tracks. <laughs> uh, specifically, if it was from the New Kingdom of Egypt, which was from 1550 to 1100 BCE. Um, then we have the Templar or a Templar sword, as it is so called. Templar swords! Um, it is 95.5 centimeters long. Okay, can I just say really quick, for objects that may or may not exist, <laughs> their dimensions are very <laughs> specific. No, these are the ones that, they, that people have found. That say that they were once part of the Templar treasure. But given that, like, the Templar treasure hasn't really been found, it's like, you, it, yeah. It's incredible to me that this is a legend, and the legend doesn't state, like, 26 chests of gold coin or some part of what makes it cool. That nobody knows? Yeah. It's also That's very. part of the risk you take of treasure hunting it very good plot device for a fictional movie because you can run wild with what's in this treasure apparently exactly so anyway templar sword 95.5 centimeters long mm -hmm. and it has several crosses visible so that makes sense because Aubrey's doing some measurement i forgot for a second that 95.5 centimeters is almost exactly a meter so that's your reference point thank you um for those of us who still can think in metric but not centimeters only in meters um that'll be helpful uh i hate the, you <laughs> the templar sword had some crosses on it which makes sense because the templars were originally thought or the knights templar were originally thought to be in a religious order mm -hmm. uh there's also uh talk of a reliquary box uh if you google it it's it's basically like kind of like a jewelry box mm. um i didn't know what this was before it's 29 centimeters tall so fairly tall and the thought process is that it could have been made in the early 13th century and there are multiple characters that are depicted on this box. So people, it's hard to tell because it's not super well preserved. But people are thinking like maybe St. George, who's one of the saints, obviously. Uh, maybe he, Jesus. He also comes marching in, I'm assuming. Yes. Maybe Jesus and then a monk in robes. Um, to go along with the two more esteemed people. You, you got to put a, a commoner in there as well, I guess. Um, there is also more speaking to like the legend of the Templar treasure. We're speaking about it as if it hasn't been found yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of the legends surrounding the Templar treasure believe that it contains the Holy Grail. And we don't know exactly what that is, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So I was going to say it, some people think it's literally like a chalice that like 
yes, like a, a large cup um, that contains like liquid for eternal life. Some people think that it's the chalice that Jesus used um, at the Last Supper. Uh, others, as in the Da Vinci Code, believe it's simply the Holy Grail is simply blood. Um, so it really goes all over the place. There, Legends of Tomorrow also had a thing where it was just blood. Uh, it's a show I like on the CW. Uh, Holy Grail could be meant could be many of things. Um, people also believe that possibly the Ark of the Covenant was in there. So this is the Ark in which um, I believe the stone tablets were carried in. I think. So this is also the thing that was in Indiana Jones, right? This is also the thing that was in Indiana Jones. So, so in like a containing like large god power that like when opened like melts people's faces off. In a weird way, National Treasure, the Da Vinci Code, and Indiana Jones all found the same treasure. Yeah. <laughs> Mind blown. Then there's something called the Turin Shroud. Um that people also believe might be in there. This is a large piece of cloth that's said to have the impression of a man's face in it. Um, it's generally thought to be the material that Jesus's body was wrapped in before entombment. So in terms of more tangible forms of treasure, I did find this show that's called The Lost Relics of the Knights Templar. Cool, sounds relevant. Uh, unfortunately, I did not have time to watch all the episodes, nor did I have access to all of the episodes. But the episode descriptions contain some information um, suggesting that some of the relics found in the Templar treasure were things such as Nazi loot, which timing doesn't really work out on that, but okay. Um, Roman coins. Gold coins! some Viking artifacts, and possibly some Spanish gold. So what I thought I would do now, Aubrey, is quickly go back through this list that I've given you mm -hmm. and discuss briefly whether or not these objects were represented in the movie version of the Templar treasure that we saw. Awesome. Love that. So for the Black Obsidian Chalice, we talked about how this could have been made in the 12th century and could be an Egyptian chalice. So while there weren't direct mentions of a chalice in what we saw in the movie, it, it doesn't go beyond reason to think that there right. could have been some kind of Egyptian chalice given all of the other Egyptian artifacts that were in the treasure room. I would consider that like, yes, like that tracks to me based on what you just said yeah uh so as far as the templar sword goes because we talked about all those suits of armor and sword i would say most likely that probably was actually represented in the film mm -hmm. the the reliquary box not really maybe it, it could have been a jewelry box type thing that was chilling out there it's it's that one's a little hard to say yeah i mean it's pretty small i'm not sure how easily it would be to pick that out. I mean, that room was full and it was really only possible for me to identify things that were very clearly like what they were, if that makes sense. So that's yeah. definitely possible, but harder to say for certain. Um, 
so as far as the the Nazi loot goes, like I said, it's a little unclear what that is, and the timing of it doesn't quite seem to make sense, so we're going to pass that one. Mm-hmm. Roman coins, very possibly. Uh, we didn't talk about Roman. We talked a little bit about some Roman stuff, potentially. But Egyptian coins, like you said, were present in the film. So it's possible that some of these could have been Roman coins as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as Viking artifacts go, like not really. We didn't really see any evidence of that in the film. Uh, and as far as Spanish gold goes, that seems more like National Treasure 2 related, uh, in my opinion, the National Treasure 1. Um, then we get to the Turin Shroud. For the Turin Shroud, there were no mentions of cloth. Mm-hmm. Really, you didn't really, and we, we didn't see any pieces of cloth necessarily. Um, this is a very kind of like big picture item, I mm-hmm. would think. So if they were going to include this as part of the Templar treasure in the film, you think that they would have kind of made it a more prominent aspect of things. Um, as for the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant, I mean, let's be honest, those were a bit of a stretch. Right. So- <laughs> Like, no, they're not there. <laughs> I mean, unless we want to play Dan Brown and, like, be like, we think the Holy Grail is the gold medallion with the all-seeing eye on it. Yeah, there we go. Maybe we- maybe that was the Holy Grail the whole time. Water's the villain and the all-seeing eye medallion is the Holy Grail. We figured it out. We don't even need a National Treasure 3 anymore. We figured it out. But we still want it. Still want it. Give it to us, please. <laughs> that was awesome. I can't believe there was so much consistency here between like the legend, some real history, and the movie. I mean, I know we're used to being surprised and like happy when we find out that there's so much temporal consistency and historical consistency, but for some reason, I really didn't expect a lot with the Templar treasure just because there's so much of it and we're not really meant to examine it in great detail right so that's really impressive to me it's really cool the way that it was done I have to say yeah so y'all I mean what did you think first of all are you gonna go watch these scenes and pause every three seconds and maybe find more treasure pieces that we didn't even talk about today you should give that a shot and then tell us about it online you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We are also available for your listening ears, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Good Pods. Please like, subscribe, rate, and review. Do whatever you can on those various platforms to let us know that you're here, that you are listening, that you too are a national treasure hunter. Let us know, like Aubrey said, if you happen to pause the film numerous times in order to see what exactly is in the Templar treasure, as I know I will be doing. And while you're at it, if you feel like repping National Treasure Hunt in any way, shape, or form, go ahead and head on over to our merch store. The link is in the link tree in our bio. You can buy t-shirts, you can buy magnets, you can buy stickers, you can even buy notebooks. Anything that your little heart desires, you can probably find at that store and go ahead and support a good cause, which is bringing you more content about National Treasure. Including our next episode, which Mm -hmm. is going to be 
as always, a big one. It'll be our season four finale episode coming to you in two weeks time. As per usual, we have a special expert interview to share with you. Also, as per usual, we're not going to tell you who it is right now or probably until the episode drops. So, (laughs) (laughs) so you have that to look forward to. Please join us when that comes out in about two weeks time. But until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt.